Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner! You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Jason Sobel, senior golf writer for the Action Network. Joined as always by Drew Stoltz, aka the Sleeves, our former pro in residence. We'll be joined later by Peter Jennings, of course, the gambler. And we have a very special guest tonight. We've been privileged enough to be joined by a guy that we want to have on the pod for a little while now because he's got a great story. Zach Zucker, thanks so much for joining us, first of all. Secondly, just going to start out and, and ask you to tell a little bit of your story because a lot of it is based on a mantra that we love here at the Action Network, which is bet on yourself. And you have bet on yourself over the years and starting to base some dividends, isn't it? Oh, exactly right. Um, first off, thanks for having me on here. And uh, yeah, I'll get into the story. The, uh, yeah, this it's been kind of a crazy um, last year and a half, really, really last like three years for us with having surgery, having an injury, trying to figure out medical. I feel like on this tour, you're always trying to figure out uh, some new scenario. I think I've had like six years between the web and the PGA, and I've never been in the same category twice. It's been very um, nice to learn all this, but um, yeah, we had, we had some hard times coming out after um, after our surgery, me and my family. And um, we started out this year um, kind, of, kind of in the hole, trying to figure out uh, how everything's going to work trying to pay off some credit cards. I have bills with, with two, uh, with two kids, with my wife and, and family. And so we, uh, starting out the year in the hole, we finally kind of had to, you know, wife had to come to say like, we're, we're betting on ourselves this year. We're, we're going to bet that we're going to have good play. We're going to work harder than we ever have and, uh, trust that it'll pay off. And going into the traveler, really this whole year, it's been some of the best golf I've played in my life. And, uh, the travelers was, was kind of the, um, the peak of that having a tide for second, which um, kind of opened the doors a lot for the rest of the year. Yeah, Zach, you mentioned, um, and it's been well publicized, the fact that you had to take out some credit card debt. You went, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but seven months at one point without any income. When you were getting these credit cards and, and putting expenses on that and stuff, was there ever any like self doubt or, or second guessing, like, holy shit, if this doesn't work out, like, I don't know where I go from there. You're obviously gambling on yourself and it's worked out perfectly in your favor and you you've, you were able to uh, capitalize on that. But what was it like when you were doing that? Was there ever just like a come to Jesus moment where you're like, oh boy, I really need to, I really need to start playing some good golf? Yeah, for sure. So the tour sets up long-term disability for you and, it, and it's great because I wasn't smart enough to have any insurance on myself that I would have had short-term things would have been a lot easier but they do long-term disability and it it takes 210 days to get your first check from it and so um we had uh i I had a good web.com year we had some money saved up and we got um to looking at and i didn't have a great pga tour year where it would have been a whole lot easier before the injury but um we kind of watched that money uh slowly dwindle away and it be, it became really stressful right before the first check started coming in from uh, the long term disability, and which is great because we had had medical bills, um, all kinds of stuff coming in. I I had done um, some stem cell injections, which were which were ridiculous. Um, I think they worked. We had done all of that stuff, and so it became pretty stressful. And then 
we started to build back up after that when the checks started to come in. But we always knew that we were going to be in trouble when the year started. Because once we said, like, okay, here's the date we think we're going to get started back on the web.com, um, it started so slow that we were we knew we were going to get into trouble. We knew we couldn't save enough from that and still pay off our bills. I went in and, and we had my car paid off. I traded in. I had a Suburban. We traded that in for a car and started making payments on that so we would have some money saved up that way. We did the same thing with my wife's car. And so we had done um, kind of everything I could, I felt like, to not ever actually go into debt where I started to pay any penalties. I wanted to, to say, hey, we can dig our way out of this. The last thing I want to do is start paying you know, 10, 15, 20% off of something where it's hard to dig out of a hole. And so we did the same thing with the credit card saying, let's, let's open some zero interest for 12 months credit cards and rack them up and we'll go from there. And, and it, was a, it was a long conversation to try to figure out to do that, how it would work. We knew, man, if, if this doesn't work out in a year, we're going to be in serious trouble. Um, right. We don't even know where we're going to go from there. But I think one of the biggest things from the year was I was in San Antonio for a web.com event. And I had made a lot of cuts this at the year. I think I'd only missed one web.com of, of five events. But I hadn't made really any money. It was still we were still going in the wrong direction out there on that tour. If you don't have top twenty, you're not doing much, especially when you have a family at home. And so we went to San Antonio, and I was on the course on Monday when I received our um, PGA Tour insurance for the family bill. They pay they do it twice a year, and that honestly, I was out. I was on the course on Monday, and I'm like, oh my, we can't pay it. How are we going? Like, what are we going to do with this? Like, that's that's something they they. Uh, draw out of your account and I'm like I, I, we don't have that and uh and it said it comes out in 10 days or something and uh I got the email I didn't even tell my wife because she would have gone you know she wouldn't have been happy with it and and that week I played great I finished um tied for fourth and was like oh my gosh we have breathing room like made 20 I think 20 something thousand and immediately had breathing room and I was like oh this is the greatest thing ever like we can we can go on from here. And when I made the cut the next week at the Wells Fargo, had some more breathing room, did the same thing at the Byron Nelson the next week, and all of a sudden I was like, Oh my gosh, we're like there's there's a light at the end of this tunnel and it hadn't been a you know, we'd only been in the tunnel for a few months, it wasn't crazy. And uh and that was, it was just a huge amount of stress lifted th- those weeks. You know, and then to be to be honest, I always joke around like I've told this to, to most of my family, the Wells Fargo was I felt more pressure coming down the stretch of that event i had um I, I was the final group finishing and i was on the cut line with with 16 17 and 18 to play all really oh. hard holes and trouble yeah. everywhere yeah and i felt far more pressure on those three holes going par 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 than i ever did at at the travelers although that had tons of pressure the travelers it was it was very different like the travelers was like big picture pressure like i've already had a huge awesome week no matter what the, the wells fargo was like this gets me another 15 to 20 out of debt. Like this is, I need this bad. And, uh, and it was a hundred percent on me. Like we knew exactly what the cut was going to be. We already knew everything. Like it was just make three pars on three of the hardest holes of the year. And, and you, know, <laughs> you move on. And so, it, you know, that, that week, um, that week was huge for just getting some more breathing room and having that, uh, you know, that there's nothing like money problem stress out here on this tour. I guess there's nothing like money problem in any stress, but it was, it'll wear you down. I mean, that sounds so relatable. I think anyone listening to this 
um, especially we have a lot of gamblers listening. They they say I I get money <laughs> problems. I I don't necessarily get Brooks Kepka problems. Like, hey, which boat should I take over there, and which major championship <laughs> trophy should I put on which mantle? But I think everybody relates to having pressure on them. Zach, was there ever a time when you said, I mean, uh, other players would have said, look, I, I'm 32 years old. It's it's been long enough. I, I've I've given it a good shot. I, I think I could make it, but I just can't do it financially. And I'm gonna hang it up and go be a club pro, or I'm gonna go. Uh, sell insurance or do something else did you ever get to a point where it was that close where you said i i don't think i can do it anymore and you just kind of went ahead and did it anyway that thought had crossed my mind but if i'm if i'm honest it was never real like i don't know what else i'd do if i wasn't playing golf I, i think it was always like am i good enough to keep doing this like will i be able to come back from this injury um i don't know you know it was more like i i don't think it was ever a real thought honestly to say like I don't know. Cause I, honestly, I don't know what I do without golf. I, I've I've never put enough thought in it to know where I go from there. To be honest, you could always host a podcast, dude. You know, you ever thought about that? <laughs> you just hop on the Action Network, dude. It's simple. That's right. Uh, I'm kidding. Well, we we'll we'll get into the Wyndham here in a little bit, but I just want to speak on your year as a whole. So, looking, you you touched on where you were kind of financially and in the state of your golf game as well. But looking at where you were prior to the Travelers and playing on the medical and all that. Regardless of what happens the rest of the year, uh, I think you're 142 right now on the FedEx Cup points list. Do you view this season as a huge success, like doing what you did coming off the medical, like regardless of anything going forward with the playoffs or no playoffs or, or anything like that? Yeah, a- absolutely. The goal, the goals were really different this year. So before this year, the goal was always the PGA Tour. So I've always been, or the goal was the web.com. It depends on you know where you're at at the time. When I was on the Hooters Tour or the eGolf Tour, um, back when those were great many tours the goal was always get to q school get full status on the web.com um or corn ferry now get out there and play you know a a full year out there and then when you got to the web.com literally the only goal was the pga tour there's not it was never i want to win three times so i can go straight to the pga tour or i i don't i just want to maintain status on the P, on the web.com, it was always cut and dry. That's the goal. It doesn't care how it happens, whether you win this week or get through the finals and finish fifth like I did one year that locked up. It was just get to the PGA Tour. And then um, when you're on the PGA Tours, the goal is to win, the goal is to stay there, and the goal is never to drop back to the web.com. But, but this year, the injury uh, to start the year, I really only had one goal, and it was job security for the next year. Um, I had had such an awful year before um, – with only six events left, my my number one goal to start the year was I want to I want jo- I want to play on a tour next year because it was very light it was very possible that I didn't have any status on any tour and so right. um, I di- I wasn't going to be able to play a full schedule on the web.com I wasn't locked into the finals yet um, I still had to make probably sixty points or something just to reach or seventy points just to reach finals through the PGA tour and I only had six events guaranteed to do it. And I only had a half schedule on the web.com, no matter how everything happened to make um, web.com for the next year to make finals through that. So the goal, the goal to start the year was 100% have somewhere to play next year. So you're not going to Q school because no one ever wants to go back to Q school out here. It's most stressful events of your life. It's literally the whole year is, is weighing on, on one or two weeks. And uh, that that was the main goal. And it was really nice. Um, I, I blocked that up on the web.com or on the Cornberry tour when it was in Raleigh a couple weeks before travelers. And that was huge to say, I'm now I'm in finals. I at least have the web.com to play next year. Like now I can finally focus on the PGA tour and, and actually competing. And the goals all changed there. And so it was, um, 
yeah, the year, the year is a huge success way before Travelers. Yeah, you, you were mentioning uh, the web doc, or the Corn Ferry. God, I do the same thing. The, the Corn Ferry Tour, <laughs> and, you know, you've got experience on both tours. But for the people listening, explain just how fine a line it is in terms of, like, the talent gap between those two tours, between the Corn Ferry and the PGA Tour. Because I don't know if people really – like, the money, you mentioned how hard it is to make money unless you finish in the top 20. But in reality, well, just, just talk about your perspective on the talent gap between the, the Corn yeah. Ferry and the PGA Tour. I think almost every guy that's gone through the web.com tour that's made it to the PGA tour through, through that, that haven't, you take out, you know, some of the top guys on the PGA tour, maybe take out the top 10 or 20 guys on the PGA tour. I think everyone else would agree that it's, that it is paper thin, the difference between the two tours. There are so many guys on the web.com tour that are, that are capable of winning on the PGA tour that don't even get, that never get through the web.com. It's, it's ridiculous how, um, you know, how small the margins are. Um, I think they're good weeks yeah. and the guys in the web.com good weeks are, are very similar. Yeah. So Zach, you were mentioned before we got on the pod, we we're just having a little conversation that uh, you were the last man in the field. I didn't realize this. You were the last man into the field based on your number for the Wyndham championship this week. Obviously the last event before we get to the FedEx cup playoffs, you're 142nd on the FedEx cup points list, which means a good week. And you got a chance to get into the playoffs next week, a not so good week. And you're probably not dropping past 150. So worst case scenario, you have, at least partial status next year, best case scenario, you go out and win the damn thing this week and you have a, a great storybook ending to what's been a, a terrific story so far this year. So I guess my question is for everybody listening who wants some gambling advice and wants some betting advice, do we place a little action on you this week? Because uh, you're certainly <laughs> a guy who knows how to play with some pressure on him. Exactly right. I think um, there's very few times in this tour you can actually be in a, be in a spot, especially for the middle of the pack guys, the guys at the top, you know, they, they're in a, they're in a different ballpark. Um, guys who have had a lot of success earlier in the year or that have won. But I think there, there are so many times in the year where it all matters. And this is one of, this is one of the few weeks where a 40th place finish really doesn't do much for me. Um, I, don't, I can't remember a time ever of anybody moving down nine spots in one week to drop out of the 150. And with the added events that they played next year, I think there's um, like seven regular events, or not counting the overseas events on the fall series, um, next year and everything reshuffles in. And so I think I'm getting my starts, whether you're 135 or 150 next year, you're going to get some starts early, which is, which is all you can ask for. Um, and so going into this week, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm playing, on, I'm playing on Bermuda grass for the first time this whole year on the PGA Tour for me. I guess I played Wells Fargo. That was the only event on like true southern grain events, grainy greens like I grew up on um, in Mobile uh, that, I've, that I can remember. Um, and so it's nice to play that and it's also nice to know like hey a top 10 does a lot i don't have a whole lot to lose so it's, it's kind of nice i'll go try to make as many birdies as i can you know who else was the last guy in the field recently that had a big week in a similar situation to you actually nate lashley and uh oh yeah so it can be done it can be done exactly i, I like I, you know don't, don't count the last guy in out hey 156 is still in the field. You mentioned that you're 142, and, and more likely than not, whatever happens this week, you don't drop out of the top 150, which will be huge for you in terms of getting starts next year. But for the guys who are on the bubble this week, and there are a lot of them in that 120 to 130 range that are playing, it's essentially like Q school almost for them this week. I feel like where every shot is kind of do or die out there, and it's a really big grind. Do you notice just being at the golf tournament this week that the vibe is different uh, amongst the players who are, who are, you know, this is their last shot to either work their way into the top 20, 125 or to hold on to that spot? To be honest, I think the vibe out here for the most part from most of those guys is that they're all extremely tired. I'm pretty, pretty easy when it comes to golf. I don't, 
I, I don't try to overwork myself. I'm not a huge grinder on the range. And, and I think that anybody near the bubble, the grind at the end of the year is pretty brutal. And I, and I'm in that category for sure. Uh, I think this is my 10th straight week of golf right now. And, um, we, we had commented, this was like four or five weeks ago. We had commented, we'd love to know a stat of broken or bent clubs <laughs> per event and watch how much it goes up at the end of the year. And, uh, and how, and, and how much, you know, just, just the pressure and the grind of, of doing it. No, you start the year and no one plays more than three events in a row. Everybody's taking off, you know, a week here, a week there, staying, staying fresh. And this time of the year, uh, everyone is just grinding because everyone knows how much each point matters. You, everybody has something to play for. Unless you're, you know, inside the top 120 right now, the, everyone outside of 120 has been grinding for weeks straight, most likely five, six, seven weeks in a row of, uh, of nonstop golf. And so that, uh, that tra- travel schedule and all that will, uh, will wear on you. So I think that's kind of general vibe is everyone's, everyone's tired, but everyone's fighting through it. And, and they all know how much it matters. Zach, getting in, getting in a little bit more into this week. So as soon as we're done with you on the interview, we're going to go in and we, we end up um, picking head to head matchups. We build a fantasy lineup and all that stuff. Give us a little insight since you're there about on this golf course this week, what kind of players it suits, uh, and what to look for, for for all the gamblers out there that are looking to get a little inside scoop? Oh, man. I would I would take um, number one thing by far is uh, is strokes gained off the tee, I think, this week. Um, look at the guys that drive it well. Um, there's, a few, there's a few long holes, but I think being in the fairway is more important than anything. Obviously, the length makes a huge difference for birdies. And then, I, and then on top of that, I would say players that have – played well on Bermuda because there's not that many courses throughout the season other than the Florida swing there's not a whole lot of events that are that are played on uh, on real Bermuda golf courses and so I think um, southern southern golfers are important and I think strokes gained off the tee would be what I'd look at yeah so let me jump in here real quick our, our um, other member of our podcast Peter Jennings is our big pro gambler super data guy has all the numbers on everyone he can tell you like which type of underwear you play best in probably yeah, he knows everything <laughs> But uh, he's got a big theory, and it's interesting hearing it from a player because I, I tend to agree with you. He has a theory that the types of grasses that player that, that the course is being held on doesn't have an effect on like players scoring. Where I would argue, and you've mentioned it, you know, multiple times already on this pod. Like for you, a guy from the south who grew up on this grass, it's a huge difference for you playing on something like this that you're comfortable in. Whereas the guy coming from the west coast who doesn't play near as maybe went to college out west and doesn't play in the the Florida Bermuda where it's super grainy and stuff like that, it is a lot different and a lot tougher. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that um, I think if I'm if I play really good, I'm going to play really good anywhere. But I think that uh, confidence-wise, I think my chance my chances of playing good go way up playing on grass that I like. I'll, I'll go ahead and say right now, I would never bet on me ever on soft Poana greens. That's a good really scoop. Long. I try to do everything right. I try to go in with the confidence. I try to stick to my game plan. I try to do everything right in my career. I'm awful on soft Poana, <laughs> and if, if it's firm fast, then then I'm okay. Um, but, but once it gets soft, I am, I do not, I do not feel great chipping on it. I do not feel good putting on it. And, um, uh, my stats would show that, you know, I think pretty, pretty clearly. Um, I can't then, wait uh, to replay this when you win at Pebble next year. Oh my gosh. That Pebble, <laughs> Pebble's a nightmare. I played one year where they had all the flooding. I had the shakes for like two weeks after that event. Um, like it was probably three or four years ago. I was, I was, I was a mess. That's, that's my, I think that's the prettiest place in the whole world. There's no other place I'd rather play golf than those three courses. And man, when it rains, it's almost worth not playing. And I, and it's hard <laughs> to say that because I literally, there were three of my favorite courses of the whole year. And, uh, but I was, I was a wreck after that place, but yeah, I would, 
I think that'd be pretty crazy. The, uh, I think if there's any stat that it would be, it would be people are confident in different types of grass, and, uh, and which, you know, obviously confidence is a lot in grass. Grass does matter, and Peter's an idiot. That was basically yes. what we got to there. I like, thank you, you for that. Zach. <laughs> Zach, my last question for you. Uh, again, we, we like talking betting. We like talking gambling. And we like talking sort of futures. And uh, I want to know about your future. Five years down the road, kind of what's, what's Zach's ceiling? How good can you be? How good do you think you can be? Um, five years from now, you'd be 37. Where do you see yourself? Where do you see your career going uh, between now and then? Honestly, I think it's it's being out here and playing full years, being in that top 125 and being pretty consistent. I think um, if I look back at, at my last like 15 years of golf, going back to even college, I struggled early. Once I made a team, I settled in. Um, first two years were a struggle. Third and fourth year were great turn pro even struggled on the Hooters tour for a couple of years, getting comfortable. Once I was comfortable, I did fine. It was the same thing on the web.com tour lost status. The first two years I had it. Um, first three years actually out there. Once I felt good out there, um, I kind of got into a rhythm and have been very, very consistent. I put for myself, I feel like out there. Um, and then, uh, I think it's kind of the same way as the PJ tour. I'll, the first year I was never comfortable the first year I had status. People always try to prepare you, uh, you know, the team you have around you, your coach, your agents, all these guys prepare you. Like they throw everything at you. They tell you everyone's going to be, you know, throwing everything at you when you get out there, there's distractions everywhere. And so I, I definitely fell into that category of getting pretty distracted my first year out on the PGA kind of had my second year last year. And, and this year, all of a sudden, I think I've made more cuts this year in my nine starts that I made my, my whole PGA tour career in the mm-hmm. previous 30 something. So yeah. Um, I think I'm finally getting um, comfortable out here, finally feeling um, finally feeling like I belong out here, I guess. Um, and so that, that's nice. And so I think the uh, where I see myself is getting more and more comfortable and, and just continuing on out here. Zach, you're already pretty high on the list of our favorite pod guests that we've had on. You've been fantastic. Uh, we appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. And now you're going to move up that other list this week. I think we're all going to bank on you and I'll put a little uh, – action on you for the Wyndham championship this week. I know we will all be rooting for you no matter what. So thanks again. And and good luck this week, Zach. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it. There he is. Please think I might have a new favorite player, Zach Suker. That guy is awesome. I hope that guy wins 27 tournaments in his career. And we get to talk to him after every single one of them, because uh, he's a lot of fun. And uh, Peter Jennings, our resident gambler joining us now, Peter, I know you were able to, Listen in on that interview. What do you think of Zach Suker and his story and betting on yourself? Yeah, I love it. Huge fan of Zach. And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, the DFS players like to complain and all the gambling guys and someone does well. But the the thing is, these golfers are going out every single week and they're betting on themselves. And it's just such a cool story and obviously a huge grind. And I wanted to touch briefly how the PGA Tour is changing from the top 70 to top 65 with no MDF rule going forward. And Zach actually reminded me of a quote that Paul Casey gave before, you know, basically being on the Players Committee and talking about the cut rule moving from 70 to 65 to avoid the, the threesomes and all the nonsense that goes on on the weekend. And he said it perfectly. It's a capitalist sport. And that's the reality. These guys are betting on themselves every single week. I love that, and Zach's story is great, and like you, I'm rooting for him going forward. You sort of alluded there to a story that I want to get into, and and we all know Brooks Kepka won last week. He looked fantastic. It was a non-major, which kind of smashes the narrative of he only wins major championships, which is 
silly narrative anyway. So good to see Brooks Kepka win a WGC event, fifth player ever to win a WGC and a major in the same year. Rory McIlroy, for as great as he's been this year, has had some final round struggles. But like I said, you alluded to a story during the week. Max Homa, after the opening round, uh, shot 74. I don't believe he made a birdie in that round at the WGC in Memphis and uh, had some Twitter criticism, as, as players always do. I mean, I've talked to players about it, and if you log on to social media, and many of them have just stopped looking at it altogether and let their agents run it or let their wives run it or somebody else, and they don't even look at it because they don't want to deal with all the criticism. But Max Oma looks at his Twitter. He's very, very good on Twitter. He's one of the best out there as far as golfers are concerned. And he looked at it and said, you know what, guys? I, I'm betting on myself. And so if you guys are betting on me and you don't win, or you're playing me in fantasy and, and I don't play well, uh, guess what? It hurts me a lot more than it hurts you. And Sleaze, uh, this is something we've talked about on the pod before, but um, it, it's just still – I guess I just don't get people being assholes on Twitter. I, I just don't understand why they do it, what they get from it. Um, but we've talked about this before. Some good of, the, of it came after the story. They raised money for charity. But uh, speaking as a, a former player, what did you think of that reaction from Max Homa uh, after getting that criticism? Yeah, I think Max handled it beautifully. First, he came out and said, let me be very clear. I don't give a shit, basically, if I ruined your fantasy lineup. Like, I'm not out here like, oh, whose fantasy lineup could I ruin this week? And whose 20 bucks am I going to lose? Like, no, it, it doesn't cross anyone's mind, and nor should it. But the worst thing about it is, like, I, I love to play fantasy. Obviously, all of us love to gamble. We love to play fantasy golf. But to tweet at a guy after he plays bad and you had him on your fantasy roster is, like, the – lowest like softest thing you could do like none of these people that are tweeting at max or any of these other tour players would ever in their wildest dreams get in an elevator with one of these guys and say the same shit it's just because they can be anonymous they can hide behind the keyboard and it's it's the one time that they'll ever get like direct access to say something to max or any other tour player and have them hear them directly right and max is one of the few guys that will respond to it i hate just like you know i got buddies that play out there and stuff and sometimes i'll see some things people tweet out i'm like dude get over it like you think the guy that missed the cut by five isn't more pissed off about missing the, his fourth consecutive cut in a row than you are about your 15 dollar entry or whatever to your fantasy lineup like lay off people they're not tweeting you when you're at work and you have a shitty day and you mess up a sales call or something exactly. like that like everyone fucks up so just leave them alone you're gambling that's what gambling is sometimes you win sometimes you lose when you lose don't tweet at the person that mess you know that you blame for losing your bet. So I think it's super soft. Credit to Max though for how he handled it. A, you know, a lot of people were taking shots and saying all this stupid Twitter shit, but he ended up turning into a positive. I think he raised like ten grand for charity that otherwise wouldn't have been raised. And a lot of people, the people that get it, rallied to his defense and were like, "Everyone relax." You know what I mean? Like this dude's out here grinding his ass off. And Max has been very open about like his struggles in the past too. A lot like Zach just was with us. Zach was very open about like he's taking out credit card debt and stuff like that just to fund his you know, his career. Max went from one of the best college players in the United States, like a can't miss kid to a guy that at one point during his career, there was questions whether or not he'll ever like, with he'll keep playing golf. Like he went that low. And so then he bounces back this year and wins. And now all of a sudden he has a shitty week in Memphis and you're like, Hey, you suck. You ruined my lineup. It's like, dude, just relax. Stop tweeting at these guys when they miss. And by the way, when someone plays great, I see very few tweets congratulating people on being like, Hey, you really made my fantasy lineup this week. It's only the negative bullshit. And that's what Twitter is, essentially, but it's still weak. And I, but I do think Max handled it about as well as he could have. Peter, do you enjoy harassing people on social media that don't make money for you? I've never done that. And, Peter's uh, the worst. I'm not the only guy. The only guy that I've, I've ever complained about, and it's more joking, is, is Keegan. Freaking Keegan just totally boned me on the weekend. I'm getting better at every aspect of my game. My game. 
I go out and hit it this way, that it's, it's just not going to come off strong. I hate fucking Keegan Bradley. Keegan has gone, he's had, you know, he's in the lead and then he misses the cut. And like, I don't, I, I recognize, like Slee said, like Keegan has a lot more on the line. And it's not just the money. Like these guys have poured so many hours, their heart and soul into the game of golf. And they're judged on their results. Like there's so much short-term variance and so many things. Like, I mean, we've seen it. We've played golf with Slees. He's an incredible player. And I've been around a lot of guys who are just amazing golfers. And it's just a couple breaks. And like you spend all these hours, all this sweat and tears into it. And there's so much riding on these events for the guys that even if you're the highest stakes gambler or DFS player, like your results are nothing compared to what these guys are going through. They're betting on themselves. They play well, they do well. Like that's, that's it. So I think it's absolutely garbage that people complain, but the best part about the story is how it turned into a positive. Uh, I do think there's a lot of net negative things in social media, but one of the cool things that we've seen and, you know, the DFS and gambling world, like some of the most successful DFS guys have raised millions of dollars for charity and uh, seeing Max turn it into a positive and turning that, you know, reaction and all that attention into, you know, money for charity is a great thing. So Keegan, I love you. He's made me a lot of money too in certain situations and I should never complain. It's more just for the the funny content, but I love seeing these guys be more active on Twitter. I love seeing Max Homa, JT, Eddie Pepperell. Uh, a lot of these guys have really been very open on Twitter, which I think is a net good for the game. So um, yeah, the moral of the story is these guys have a lot more on the line every single week than any gambler DFS player. And most of the time, the guys that are complaining are the guys who have five or $10 and just want to bitch and complain about stuff in general. Yeah, a lot of it's right. the timing right. too. So I think like these guys, you come off a tough Friday afternoon, miss the cut by one or whatever, go back to your hotel, check your phone. And all of a sudden you got a message from birdie maker six, nine, six, nine, like, Hey, you suck. You know, like they're on tilt and they're just like, Oh, this isn't the right time. And so they fire something back. I actually like it when the people fire back because sometimes the mob, comes to the defense of the players and kind of embarrasses the person that sent the first shot. But I think a lot of it is the timing aspect. You know what I mean? They're already more pissed off than you are. And then they get some message from the, from the cheap seats, you know, from somebody like, Hey, you ruined my, you ruined my team. And they're like, really don't care. And here's why, which I kind of, I like when they go at them, but I think timing plays a role too. Right now, there's someone listening to this pod who has just created at BirdieMaker6969, <laughs> who hopefully sends Lee's harassing tweets. <laughs> That's my burner account that I fire at all these guys. <laughs> hey, Tony Fino, you suck. There's people that get it and people that don't get it. And the very few that don't get it are the ones that are sending out these tweets. We will have Keegan on this pod soon. As I, I can't. Him. I can't wait. And He's also a Jordan guy, too. Yes. I, He's the, the man. I, I'm going to load him up with bad fantasy advice that Peter has given over the years, and he's going to just clap back at you the entire time. The the funny thing is, if you look through my history of DFS lineups, Keegan's probably one of the top five most played guys because his good golf is just fantasy gold. It's just other guys, when they miss the cut, it's like, oh, that's over. Keegan just breaks your heart. That's the only reason I've ever had like funny commentary. Just he's. Petey, I think you need to tweet at Kucher some of your thoughts. Just not on his. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm bringing up Keegan. Know what you I've got after. How you feel? Maybe an audio clip of that pod that we had. If I saw Kucher in person, I think most people would shy away. But I, I think there's some genuine criticism, and I uh, think uh, we well, need to no, set you, that no, up. You would. Kucher is a good guy. I, I've known Kucher for a long time. I've never in person had any sort of issue with him. Even if you don't like that he stiffed the caddy, whatever. He's Gooch and I went out for coffee once because we had we had similar mutual friends. It was sort of like a setup, like, "Hey, Matt started to play well." It's like 10, 12 years ago. Matt started to play well, and you cover golf. You guys kind of get to know each other, and we were almost like set up on this like wasn't interviewing him, but we were kind of like just get to know. 
and we went out for, to a Starbucks and neither one of us really at the time, I didn't drink coffee at all. And he didn't drink coffee. Like we went out for water, Matt Kuchar and I. That's exactly what I would expect of Matt Kuchar. <laughs> hey, you want to meet up for a couple of cold waters? I'm sure Kuchar is a good guy, but I, I just, the toucan thing and then the not giving Sergio that putt, that's the, just the golf gambler in me that just, that, that tilted me. We got to get a face to face with Peter and Kuchar. <laughs> Let, let's move on before we get ourselves in trouble. Let's move on to the Wyndham championship. We got this week. We talked to Zach Suger and uh, obviously there is a lot on the line this week. Uh, this week is the, major pressure week for a lot of guys who are uh, whether you're hovering around that 125 number and trying to keep your card whether you are uh, somewhere around the 70 number and you're trying to at least solidify your place into the second playoff event and maybe some guys right around that 30 number trying to get into the tour championship um, there's a lot on the line this week and it's kind of the last ditch effort to uh, get everything in a row before the three event playoff swing starts soon so just uh, some thoughts Peter uh, just off the bat this is the one that Brant Snedeker started with a 59 in the opening round last year and cruised to a victory. We've seen Webb Simpson play well here over the years. Patrick Reed is a guy who has won this golf tournament. Any names jumping out at you right off the bat that you say, uh, I really like him this week? I think the biggest story is what Morikawa did with a win last week and just by all accounts seems like the most genuine, awesome, nice kid. The future of golf is so bright and he's just yeah. another guy that just shows how good these guys are getting and to me, he's the number one rated player in the field, and I think he has a chance to just be an absolute superstar. So that's the guy I'm looking at. Um, you know, when Hovland, Wolf, Morikawa were all the three favorites, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, he was the number one guy for me, and I'm just a huge believer in his game. Um, so I'm excited to see how he plays, and, I mean, it's incredible what he's been able to do and what it's like six or seven starts. Uh, he's just, he's just steamrolling the fields. Yeah, um, he, he's the guy that I'm, I'm looking at. So um, that's where I start at the top. I know Webb Simpson uh, and Matsuyama are in the field and they're right there. But uh, to me, he's the guy I'm looking at as the favorite. And I'm very excited to see how he plays this week. Hmm. So he's got a name for me. We can go through some names when we get into the DFS lineup, which we will build after the bets. But let's get into some betting. Let's make a little loot. Uh, I got a name. You guys have heard me mention him before. Top 20 bet. Who do you think it is? You only say the same guy every single no, week. No, you said so. that last week. He's a Whisper week, Rock member. Every week that I've mentioned him, we have yet to lose on Chez Revy this year. Not one loss. So you give me a lot of shit last week about, oh, you only mentioned Chez. Guess what? All I did was beat Gary Woodland by a bunch, and people won a bunch of money again. That's not because you're good at this. It's because he's good at golf. I mean, it's they, because I'm good at picking when he's going to win, when he's going to beat people. I know yeah, the but He's played really well this year, and you basically pick him every week, and you win it. I, well, why you should be picking is that That's not my fault that I'm able to recognize greatness and, fine. On it and win a bazillion. Don't give yourself so much credit. It's mostly I'm me. It's some Chez, but it's also identifying when to pick Chez. <laughs> so that being said, no, all jokes aside, Chez is one six, plus 165 to top 20. Um, I think with this type of field, that's a pretty good bet to make, especially you heard Zach mention what type of golf course it was, who it suits. He said hitting the fairways is what it's all about. Guess who hits more fairways than anyone on tour? Chez Revy. I actually, last week was a pretty similar golf course or in terms of fit, I think. He didn't finish as high as I thought he would, 20-something, but I don't give a shit. All he did was beat um, Gary Woodland, so... Uh, I'd like that. And another guy Peter mentioned briefly, Victor Hovland is top top 20 plus money also, plus 120. Those two guys have been uh, – the guys have been most successful with this year. But just looking at those top 20 type bets, those were the two best ones that I saw or that I liked the most. I've heard you mention those names before. I'm undefeated on these guys. Is this the ultimate curse of all curses? Probably. Much, but probably. you know the old saying from Tin Cup, how long do you ride her? The shucks. Yeah. The shucks. I've been bucked. I'm up yeah. top. I'm holding on to the horn. 
So shit, I'll keep going. If, that, if I lose one, all right, cool. I like to diversify a little bit, so I don't like to say the same uh, names week after week after week. Mm. Um, but that said, uh, tough not to like Webb Simpson. Webb Simpson has a daughter named Wyndham. Let's just, let's just take a second and remember, he named his daughter after the tournament sponsor for this event. Usually, I don't have a whole lot of hard and fast rules, but usually uh, I have a rule that if you name your daughter after the tournament sponsor, if Jordan Spieth names his firstborn kid AT&T, I will take him to Byron Nelson every single year. So uh, Webb Simpson's got a daughter named Wyndham. That, that kind of qualifies him. Like him, like Snedeker. Really like Patrick Reed this week. Those are kind of obvious ones. I, I think my favorite bet this week, top 10, top 20, Joaquin Neiman. We remember played really, really well, got into the Open Championship, missed the cut there, hasn't played since. So we might be forgetting about him just a little bit, saying, uh, yeah, kind of off the radar just a little. Uh, like him a lot in some matchup bets I'm seeing right now. Underdog to Charles Howell III, which I think is a really good spot for him. I remember talking to Neiman right after he turned pro last year, asked him what kind of courses fit him, suit his game. And he said, I like tree-line courses that aren't too long where you got to keep it in play. This should be a perfect golf course for Neiman. He was 33rd here a year ago, so uh, I think a much better, more mature player right now than he was. Uh, Peter, you got anybody else uh, matchup-wise that you're looking at right now? Yeah, I mean, I like the Chez call. Um, if you want Thank to look you. For, Thank you, Peter. for as much hate as we've had on a couple guys, uh, we've been slurping Chez for years, years and years. If he stuff. was losing, though, we would stop. Yeah, Chez is you the know? goat. I mean, I, I would kneel before Chez Ruby anytime <laughs> I see him. So. Easy. It's going to be embarrassing. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, wow. I'm embarrassing myself a lot. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Abraham answers a sleeper that I think is interesting. We'll get into DFS. He's played better golf than I think people realize. I'm always on Lucas Glover, one of the best ball strikers, one of the worst putters. Uh, and then Bud Cauley would be another guy that uh, I think might be a little underrated coming into this. Uh, we'll get into some other DFS guys. I mean, Aaron Wise is going to be volatile. He's a perfect tournament yeah. play. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Streelman, another Whisper Rock member, of course, sets up well for him. Uh, Suze, I'm actually curious what you think. I mean, he's been up and down, and I think we want to catch him when he's playing great, which I don't know if you could say he's playing great right now, but I do think this is a good course for him. Yeah, when he's playing well, he is a really, really underrated driver of the golf ball, a really good driver of the golf ball. I think that's why you've seen him have success on golf courses where that is uh, paramount. Like when he won Valspar, that's a really tough golf course where you got to hit a lot of fairways. When he's clicking with that driver, and I haven't looked at his stats recently to see how he's hitting it, he's dangerous with that uh he can just hit that thing as straight as anyone and he's sneaky long sneak if, he, if the fairways have a little bit of bounce to him he can move it out there pretty good so i don't hate that play at all um in terms of streelman i think uh i think the narrower kind of tougher you make it uh the better better for him like a like a valspar type of deal a couple of lower level names for you guys uh sebastian munoz four finishes of 11th or better in his last eight starts and playing really well richie Wierenski, super cheap dfs play uh, he's made a, a handful of uh, cuts in a row. And then shout out to Josh Perry, who works with us at the Action Network. Uh, he pointed this out, and I, I hadn't really looked at the numbers. Roger Sloan, if you're not a big Roger yeah. Sloan guy and haven't yeah. been looking it up, Roger Sloan is absolutely killing it over the last month, month and a half. So uh, that's another name you want to look out for. I can absolutely see this being a week, at, at least DFS-wise, where you go, I'm leaving $2,000 on the table, and I'm just taking guys who basically need it more than some of the guys at the top and are going to play well. I, I could see this being a week where it's uh, not a star-studded leaderboard, but a lot of guys who um, can kind of make their storybook dreams come true 
if they go out and win this week. Uh, guys, anything else? Any matchups you want to go over? I want to ask Peter about on a guy that I mentioned Chez all the time. I haven't taken I haven't taken this guy in a while, but it's Peter's favorite player in the field this week, Colin Morikawa. And the reason I lo- I mean I love him for all the reasons, but the reason I want this matchup is because he's matched up with Jordan Speed, and they're both minus one fifteen. And God damn it, I've lost probably five bets in a row against Speed. I, I haven't since remember the text the text gate that I had with it when I texted him the. I texted him the stuff that was supposed to go to someone else and it was really embarrassing and all that shit. I think I've been cursed by the gods and I have I've yet to win a Spieth matchup since Riviera, I believe. But we got Colin Morikawa over Spieth. Peter, talk me into it or talk me out of it. I mean, that's my favorite bet of the week by a mile. Oh. Uh, I was going to bring that up here at the close. Please, how many times have I said to short Spieth and it doesn't work out? And Dude, every time. I've lost every single time. He was number one strokes game putting three weeks in a row and we were short him all three weeks. Yep. Three losers. The guy is struggling to find any fairway. That's a very tough course if that's the case. And he's not even winning when he's, you know, number one strokes gained putting. And I, I think, I mean, Morikawa, you look at his last finish, his second, fourth, first. I think Morikawa is the classiest build. It's basically Webb and Morikawa by a lot in the markets right now, uh, which and I think I, is fair. Webb, Webb's an incredible player. This is a great course for him. Webb is so straight off the tee. So, I mean, I think those are the two clear top dogs. And I think Spieth is – multiple tiers below like I, I prefer i would take chez Reby straight up of course of course dude if you look at marikawa's ball striking stats since he turned pro so the six events that we reference he is either winning or in like the top three of damn near every single category you can have granted small sample size i got it but spieth and marikawa theoretically are on the opposite ends of the ball striking spectrum right now and i just like at what point can i get one of these guys to beat jordan spieth when spieth's hitting it all over the map like you made two sevens in the first round of the wgc hit another one that bounced off the ob fence stayed in bounds and he made an unbelievable par i just got to think at some point the magic you know he, he is the best putter on the planet I, I say that but like that can only go so far until someone shows up and just play you know matched up against him and just out ball strikes him to death and if Colin Morikawa ain't that guy then I don't know who is we've been wrong about Spieth in terms of the results when we shorted him and I will say I think there's a lot of regression I think he is the best putter but it's very hard to be the number one strokes game putting uh you know three weeks in a row against the best players in the world and you hear it on the broadcast you see it out there you look at his stats he doesn't know if it's going left or right. If you don't know which way your miss is going, you can't eliminate one side of the golf course and you have to play an accuracy course. Yeah. It's going to be trouble. Like if he's in the trees, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. And I couldn't be more bullish. And his misses are out. big misses. And you heard Zach say like, you can't have the big miss. There's oh, there's a lot of OB on this golf course. Uh, Zach said, and the trees, it's a tree line golf course. So if you're not, if your ball is doing more than bouncing into the rough, uh, there should be some serious stress, which by the way, that's how kind of Memphis is as well. And he, he, beat me again in, last week so incoming speed making 200 feet of putts like four yeah. days bro. yeah i'm gonna I mean, turn the tv on thursday and he's gonna be six under through eight and i'll be like yeah, yeah. In, in, independent of what you guys have said here i i post my column early on tuesday morning and i had the big fade for this week at the Wyndham being jordan speed so i think we're all on board with that when i mentioned my favorite matchup uh at least the ones i'm looking at right now joaquin neiman uh minus 105 against charles howell the uh, third i like that one a lot um uh, I, there's some very good ones here, you know, some good matchups really going on. Uh, JT Poston, who, who plays really well, uh, like like Zach was saying, on those uh, Bermuda greens and Southern courses, the Southern guy uh, up against Brandon Grace, who has not had a good year whatsoever, is trying to get his way onto that President's Cup team. I, I like Poston a lot this week as well. So uh, I think there's some action there. And now it's time for the super sneaky, sleazy pick of the week. This week, 
at I believe 6,700. Double check that for me. Ryan Armour. Ooh. Here we go. Here's why. Fourth in driving accuracy this year on tour behind Chez Reavy, Ryan Moore, and Jim Furyk. Pretty good company. So he's also, I also like this about him. He's always a bubble guy, I feel like. But this, this week, uh, he's 117th on the FedEx Cup standing. So he should be safe. You heard Zach mention, like, he's never heard anyone move nine in the 125 to 150 category. For him to move nine in the one, uh, 100 to 125 category, it's like every dude right behind him would have to play really well and he would have to miss the cut. So I think he knows that he's safe this week and can kind of play with uh, kind of free will it out there. But um, incredible accuracy off the tee. Not great in greens and reg, but that's because he's short and he's normally hitting a lot of longer irons into the greens this week. Not a, not a factor. So I'm going Ryan Armour's sleazy pick this week. Book it. He's also 6,900, which I know you like, sleaze. Oh, hello. Golfer 69-69 is all Birdie maker is all over that. Birdie maker, sorry. Yeah. I like that one. You know what? And I didn't even mention this guy's name when, when I was going through some stuff earlier. If we did uh, – for I think we had a one-week – Sobel subtle pick and that lasted exactly as long as it should have because um, it shouldn't have gotten any further than that but uh sip Straka this week sip Straka has a third mm. and a 12th in his last two starts another guy who's uh, very familiar with southern based courses and bermuda greens and uh, seems like if you look at his record over the last couple of years when he gets hot he gets really hot he's not a guy who just puts together a whole bunch of 45th place finishes it's either really good or really not good and it's going really good for him right now he steamed a ton by the way, he's gone. He's all the way up to seventy to one to win. He started off over a hundred to one to win. So markets are betting Straka big time. I think Peter had a really probably good probably because I put him in my column. Probably because I put him in my column. Ever since then, all the sharps are reading it. You're moving the markets. I'm just saying. So I think you had it best. I think that Roger Sloan is a good call, dude. He's a guy that came up from Canada. Really good player. Everyone could see it coming that he was going to be a, a very good player, and he's starting to kind of find his. Find his footing out there on tour. I think that was the that would have been a very good one as well. You mentioned him. I like him. A lot of lower names that were mentioned. Let's get into this uh, DFS lineup. Yeah. What everyone's been waiting for. I'm gonna go. I, I'm gonna take the first pick. I haven't had the first pick in a while. I am anointing myself with the first pick and my first pick in the DraftKings lineup because it would be really embarrassing if we didn't take him this week and he had an awesome week. Do it, Zach Zucker. Zach's on our team. Uh, the way he, you know that interview. I'll take six Zach Zuckers and. I'll run through a wall for him every single week. I want mm-hmm. Zach Zucker on our team. All heart squad, Zach Zucker. He's the, he's the captain. Peter, you Absolutely. go next. I mean, I'm taking Morikawa. Very smart. I think Morikawa is top 10 in the world next year, for sure. Whoa. I am still taking Hovland long term. That's such a hard question. Which which of the three big young guys that you, yeah. you pick for the they're next They're all going to be good. Dude, they're all beasts. They're all superstars. Like They all hit it good, too. There's no, like, freaky, weird. And by the way, the thing about Morikawa doing what he's done, A, he's almost won twice already. B, I mentioned all those ball striking stats where he's, like, damn near the best in the world since he came on, since he started playing professionally. His putting has been, like, average. Straight stock average. So he's had a runner-up and a first, not even beating the field, like, in putting by very much. So that's pretty impressive. Imagine if he puts as well as Spieth this week. How can we lose? Game and over. I just changed it. Okay, I'm going to go by committee here, guys. I'm torn on two guys. Okay. They're my two guys. I already mentioned them. I always stick with my guns on my, in my match. Just take them both. Just take you them want Hovland or Reavy? Just take them both. Then I'm done. I'll take Hovland and Reavy, and I'm out. All right. I like you got to go cheap. You got to go cheap. You got to go low to the earth, boys. But, but there are a lot of them out there. Yes. Uh, you go I'll next? be interested to see where you guys go with these here. 71.50 per player left. There's good value there. There's, there's, someone out of this range is going to pop up. 
I think we can uh, – let's go with a sleazy pick. So I'll leave you some money, and there's a guy Ooh. like at 7,300. Let's go Ryan Armour. I think that's a good value at 6,900. I'm telling you, JT Poston's going to play well. I like Poston, and then the guy we didn't talk about at all that I've been on this year that I think is a screaming value, especially at this course, is Von Taylor. Mm. Yes. Von, yeah. Von Taylor's been good. Collie is fantastic and has a huge talent. Hasn't been driving it well uh, this year. His one thing that he's not doing well. So I don't yeah, know, course fit-wise, if this is the best for him. He says he's been missing it both ways and big. But uh, uh, that Vaughn, I like that Vaughn. Who do we I go? I like the Sloan call, also, too. Also right there, Slee, is your boy, Wyndham Clark, whose name happens to be Wyndham. That's a hard one to pass up on, although he does miss. And he hits it 400 yards and misses by 400 yards also. He's going to win on tour, and he's going to be around for forever. This one ain't the spot, I don't think. I'm going JT Poston, unless you guys have a huge problem with it. No, I like that. Let's run it through. Ryan Armour, Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, JT Poston, Ches Reavy, Zach Sucker. That's a hell of a lineup right there. I really like squad. That. Yeah, it's a good squad. If any of them suck, expect a vicious tweet from Birdie Maker 6969. He, that, that handle deserves to exist. Guys, by the way, one last one. 16 to 1, Shan Shan Fen this week at the Women's British Open. Bank it. Oh, there you go. Sopo's always coming with these obscure international. It's obscure. Uh, so LPGA European. major. There's no. Oh, is it a major? There. But we never I talk about it on here. Well, oh, okay. that's, I think that's our fault. We need gender equality and we need to talk equal time about the women's game. You are correct. By the way, Very... let's get out of the let's get out of here on this because I uh, I saw this stat. And I'm just curious what you guys think. Okay. Uh, I saw the aggregate putting from all the PGA Tour professionals. I think it was over like a three year sample size. At how many feet does the average PGA Tour player start having the putts per that foot being over two? So, for example, over two. nine feet, they're one putting fifty percent of the time, and then they're two putting basically other time. So it's like a 1.5 yeah. average. When does it become yeah. 2.0 or higher? How many feet? Ooh, dude. 44. Um, I'm going to say 44. Higher. I'm going to say, I will say 50. 35 feet, boys. Mm. But the amazing Jeez. stat is at 60 feet, they're only three putting 23% of the time. And the amazing stat is that at 35 feet, Spieth makes 22% of those. Yeah, Spieth is making everyone somehow. Yeah. These guys are so good around the greens and on the greens. That's to me, the biggest difference between the PGA Tour players and then the next tier, web.com, et cetera. Time to wrap this up, fellas. This is a long one, and yeah. uh, it's been a good one, though. Zach Sucker, again, thank you so much to Zach for coming on. We all wish him a ton of luck this week. Uh, we've got him in our lineup now, so you guys know what to do. If he doesn't have a good week, we will all yell at him on social media, just like all the good trolls are supposed to do every single time. And I'm sure he will love and appreciate that. No, I kid, I kid, I kid. Never do that, folks. Never yell at your players. Bad karma, amongst many, many other things. Guys, for Peter Jennings and for Drew Stoltz, a.k.a. The Sleaze, I've been Jason Sobel. This has been our Action Network podcast. Thanks for listening, and good luck to everybody this week.